Amen. You alone deserve to be magnified. No one else should be lifted up or, or propped up or pointed to, Lord, but to you. Lord, you, re- you should receive all the glory and the honor and the praise. And so, Lord, we magnify and lift up your most holy name and ask as we open up your word, Lord, that your glory would be revealed, that your character would be revealed, that we'd be exhorted to walk in the center of your will. So we ask as we go to your word that you would be our teacher. As John the Baptist said, less of me and more of you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Go ahead and grab a seat. Before we get into the text, I want to give you a couple prayer requests. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned it Sunday or Wednesday. Forgive me. I'm, I'm just kind of thick that way. But um, Warren Thompson, who uh, for about three years, he and his wife Pat were uh, overseeing our children's ministry when we first started the church, commuting from San Jose every day. And uh, pray for him because he is in a, a coma at this point. A medicated coma, his liver, he's got liver failure, kidney failure, his brain's not functioning. Um, they're trying to get everything up and going so that they can give him a heart transplant. And if anybody knows Warren, he's one of the most healthy guys you've ever seen. But at the same time, you know, a virus hit him. But you know, the great thing is that, that we want to see him healed. We want to see God glorified through this. But the good news is that Warren is in the hands of Almighty God. But we need to pray for Pat, pray for his children. He's got three kids, 13, 14, and 16. And just keep them in prayer. Just a wonderful brother and keep him in prayer. Uh, also, Craig Anderson, Len's brother, um, is going in for surgery tomorrow morning. And so we want to keep him in prayer as well. Pray that God would use this. I think it's his third surgery he's had. And we want to pray that God would, would not only bring a healing touch upon him and use the doctors, that, that, that through this God would be glorified and do a work in his life as well. Amen? So let's, be, let's pray for both of those things right now before we go to the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you and thank you that you are indeed the great physician. And Lord, that while we don't know all the details in of what's going on in Warren's body, Lord, this doesn't surprise you. Lord, you've known this before the foundation of the world, and we ask in Jesus' name for your healing touch upon his body. Lord, that you would uh, be glorified, and Lord, that the doctors would be blown away. Lord, that through this, it would be an opportunity to minister to many, to draw many unto you. Father, we pray for comfort for Pat and the children, uh, a time which most of us can't even relate to. And so I ask, Lord, that you would comfort and strengthen her. It's a blessing to see her emails and just to see the continued joy she has in you. Lord, we know that's only possible as you filled her with your spirit. So, Lord, we pray that you would, again, do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think, or could even imagine that you might be glorified. We thank you that you're faithful. Lord, we lift up Craig Anderson to you as well. And, Lord, we do pray for your healing touch upon him. Lord, if it be your will that you would just heal him even right now and that the surgery wouldn't be necessary, God, we know you can do that. But Lord, if you choose to use the surgery, Lord, may you be with the surgeons. Lord, may, again, this be an opportunity for you to be glorified. And Lord, for, those, for Craig and those around him to be ministered to by you. Lord, I pray for the, those we haven't named, those we don't even know about, maybe in this fellowship this morning, going through physical ailments and difficulties. Lord, we just lay these things at your feet. 
our finances. We lay them at your feet. Everything we're going through right now, Lord, we thank you and praise you. We're not going through it alone, but you're a faithful God. Now, Lord, we ask as we go to your word that you would be our teacher. Lord, we thank you for divine appointments like this morning as we have gathered together in your name. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak. And Lord, may we receive what you have for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Be mindful to pray for Warren and Craig. Be uh, praying for Craig tomorrow morning and uh, the surgery itself. And be mindful to pray for them throughout the week. All right. If you've been coming to Calvary Chapel any length of time, you know, I'm, a, I'm almost rigid about making sure I keep teaching through the text, almost no matter what, uh, because I feel like God's called me to teach the whole counsel of God. And as a Calvary pastor, one of the things I love is I never have to think about what I'm teaching next week. I talk to these pastors and I'm always trying to come up with the next theme and the next series. I'm like, dude, how about start in Genesis, go to Revelation, it'll be all mapped out for you for the rest of your life. Just do that. And that's normally what we do. But there are times when I'm studying and I just feel like the Holy Spirit is just absolutely grabbing a hold of me and directing me to do something different. And I have to confess to you that I often fight it because I feel so convicted. No, no, but we're in Second Peter chapter 2 starting in... People read it, Lord, but they've got, you know, I almost argue with God sometimes. But you know what? It just was so heavy on my heart. And a lot of times when this happens, it's because God is doing something in me and ministering something to me to the point where I feel like I need to share it with you. And so this morning, we're going to, we'll get back to Second Peter chapter 2 next Sunday, I promise. Lord willing, right? Holy Spirit's in charge, not me. But this morning, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at Acts chapter 9 and 10, so be prepared. We're going to look at a lot of verses this morning. But what's been on my heart a lot lately is how do we, as a church, have a greater impact on the world around us? Most specifically, Santa Cruz. How do we have a greater impact on this city? You know, and I think I'm often stirred up a lot when I go downtown. Yesterday I went downtown with my family and every time I do I just feel like stirred up like man this place needs Jesus amen but the truth is this that just like the people downtown need Jesus so does the soccer mom who lives next door to you amen and the neighbor needs Jesus just as much as the thief on the cross did. And my heart has been stirred up that there's a sense of urgency in my heart for for many months now. Lord, what can we do to have a greater impact on this county? Do we need more outreaches? If that's what the Lord wants us to do, let's do more of that. And certainly I believe that can be a part of it. Lord, is is it having more ministries that meet outside the walls of this church? Absolutely, I'm all for that. But I honestly, as I continue to pray, God keeps bringing me back to one thing, and it's because of personal experience. The two times where I was a youth pastor and I saw the youth groups explode, the same thing happened both times. And here's what it is. The kids that were in the youth group got on fire for God. They became contagious. They were sharing their faith. They led others to Christ, and the youth group exploded. And too often we're looking for a crusade to be the turning point. There's nothing wrong with that. We're looking for some kind of event to be the focal point. Which guys, more than us, you know, going, you know, going witnessing, my heart is that we would be witnesses everywhere we go. 
that we wouldn't go witnessing, you know, for an hour once a month, or we wouldn't have a set-aside time, but, Lord, that we would be witnesses 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that we'd be witnessing. Imagine what would happen to our neighborhoods if we had three or four hundred people that call this place home, just outspoken about their faith and fully committed to the Great Commission. What would happen? I think more than any Billy Graham crusade could ever do. Why? Because if I ask you, I will ask you, how many of you were saved at a crusade? Raise your hand. Three people. Praise God, amen? Those three people are worth it. I'd have a hundred crusades to see three people saved. How many of you were saved because a family member or somebody you knew shared the love of Christ with you or invited you to church? Raise your hand. Look around. Almost the whole church. That's the point. I think too often we're focusing on a crusade, we're focusing on an event, and what we need to be focusing on is us being witnesses wherever we go. And reaching out and realizing that we're in the ministry every waking moment of the day. And that's how people come to know Christ. So, with that being said, I titled the message this morning, Divine Appointments. Divine Appointments, bringing down the walls that keep us from reaching out. And let's face it, it's not easy to share your faith all the time, is it? What's the answer? No. We get afraid. We feel like, the guy might ask me a question I don't know the answer to. Uh, I'm going to come off like some kind of Jesus freak or something. You know what? Please don't take this wrong, but just being transparent, there's a lot of freaks downtown for other stuff. Why not we be freaks for Jesus, Amen. I mean, hey, let's be known for something. Let's be known for that. And so I want to talk about, in the life of a believer, that there are divine appointments, I believe, every single day, and we miss them due to, a, to fear, a lack of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, or most commonly, just that we're focused on ourselves or what's going on in our day, and I have been as guilty of it as anybody. So I'm not talking at you, I'm speaking with you. We can get so focused even on that which is good that we miss out on God's highest. We can be so busy about our day that we miss out on the divine appointment that God brought into our path. We're going to see some divine appointments in Peter's life. First of all, we're going to see some that appear like just as he's going on through his day. He's just walking through his day, and God brings a divine appointment. And that's what happens with us. We're going through our day, and God brings a divine appointment. Secondly, we're going to see that God will have people call out to us. Somebody may call you on the phone or come up to you urgently because they know you're a Christian. The very person that mocks your salvation one minute comes to you in desperation because they know they, you're the only person they know that reads the Bible, only person they maybe know that they think prays to God, and now they're desperate and they're looking for somebody. Who can I call? Oh, there's that Jesus freak at work. There's that neighbor of mine that's got the Christian fish and talking about God all the time. I can go talk, let me go talk to them. And you know what? There's the divine appointments that happen in everyday life. There's the divine appointments that happen when people are calling out to us as God moves upon their heart. And then thirdly, there's the divine appointments that are, and they're all initiated by the Holy Spirit, but where the Holy Spirit wakes you up or the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of your heart and you can't do anything but go to that specific person and tell them about Jesus Christ. My little brother just flew from Hawaii to here to witness to my older brother. 
He was so burdened that he flew from Hawaii to California to witness to his big brother. Guys, that's what I'm talking about, where there's such a stirring in your heart, you can't, hey, I don't care what it costs, I don't care what the deal is, I have to drop everything and make sure this happens. We're going to see all three of those in the life of Peter this morning. How God does that in him, and guess what? He does it in us too. And we're going to see that the results of Peter's obedience is Gentile Pentecost. If you didn't know that there's a Gentile Pentecost, then it's in Acts chapter 10. You know, and we saw Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, but at that time it was largely, if not completely, Jews. But as a Gentile myself, I praise God for Acts chapter 10. I'm glad to see there was a Gentile Pentecost, and we're going to see that this morning. Now, one of the other things, and we'll get into the text, is that what we see so often is God is preparing people at both ends. God is preparing the hearer, and God is preparing the one who's going to deliver the message. And so often, we don't realize how God's been working on that end, while he's been working on me, and working on you, and then he brings us together by divine appointment at the exact right moment, and we see God do something supernatural. He's preparing both ends. I think of Philip and the eunuch. The eunuch's sitting in his chariot. He's reading Isaiah, and he's thinking, what in the world does this mean? And as he's crying out, saying, what does this mean? All of a sudden, he looks over, and Philip is running alongside his chariot. It's in the Bible. I think it was supernatural speed, because I don't think Philip was that fast. He looks over, Philip's running alongside. You want to know what that means? God was preparing the hearer, and God was preparing the one who was going to deliver the message. And as we know, Philip the evangelist shares Jesus with this man. And the guy gets saved, Isaiah, that's Jesus. It's all pointing to the Lord. He's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy. And then he baptizes the guy. That's the fulfillment. God preparing the heart of the hearer and preparing the heart of the one who's to bring the message. Ananias and Saul. Dude. Saul, the most feared, most hated, let me use that word, man amongst Christians. He was the one holding coats while Stephen was stoned. I believe that that was when God planted a seed in Saul of Tarsus' heart as he heard Stephen speak the gospel with great boldness even unto death. But as we know, Saul's going down the road. He gets knocked off his high donkey or his high horse, whatever he was riding. And what happened then is that God tells Ananias, you need to go and spend some time discipling this guy. He's like, disciple him? I'd like to cut him in pieces. What are you talking about? Can you imagine if somebody showed up at church who had killed one of your closest friends, who had martyred him for his faith, and all of a sudden he wants you to disciple him? I'd imagine the apostles, I'll disciple you. You know what I mean? Give some shivers and, you know, that's for Stephen. How about that? You know what I mean? But that's not how God works. And he moves on his heart, and God uses him to spend three years just pouring into Saul, who became Paul, a mighty man of God. Well, this morning, we're going to see the same thing. In these divine appointments, how God is preparing. So if you're a note taker, divine appointments, bring down the walls that keep us from reaching out. Number one, keys to a fruitful church. We're going to go through these fairly quickly because we've got a lot of verses. Divine appointments in daily life as a paralyzed man is healed. Divine appointments in response to the call of people as a dead girl is resurrected. And in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see divine appointments in response to a supernatural Holy Spirit burden. And you see the four points there, preparing hearts, responding to the call, proclaiming truth, 
and then producing fruits. Let's begin in chapter 9 and verse 31. And we are going to move fairly quickly because we've got a lot of verses. But I want us to see all of this in its context. So divine appointments, bringing down the walls that keep us from reaching out. Keys to a faithful church. It says, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. The reason they had peace and were edified, in context, Saul had just gotten saved. The once great persecutor of the church is now a brother in Christ. And they had peace, having been converted. And then it says this, And walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. This is the picture of a fruitful church. One that walks in the fear of the Lord and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason that our country is a mess today, and yes it is, and I love our country, and I'm as patriotic as anybody, but before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. And I want to say this, our country doesn't need to elect the right man that we ought to vote. What we need to do is repent and get our eyes back on Jesus Christ and start walking in the fear of the Lord yet again and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Nothing short of that is going to transform this country into what it should be. Amen? Now, no matter who's elected, you and I can live that way. And we ought to live that way. And we shouldn't be uh, surprised when the world doesn't. But if we want our church our body, to be fruitful. We need to walk in constant awe, reverence, and in fear of the Lord and walk in the peace and the power and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Guys, He is the comforter. He comforts us. He strengthens us. Transformed lives result in a transformed church, which results in a transformed city. We want to see revival? Let's start, draw a circle around me and start right here, Lord. And then draw a circle around this building and start in here, Lord. And then draw one around Santa Cruz County and start here, Lord. If our lives are being transformed, then our church will be transformed. Then this city can't help but be transformed. Amen? So, the first point in keys to a fruitful church. Again, we see that exhortation to walk in the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Second of all, let's look at divine appointments. Divine appointments in daily life as a paralyzed man is healed. Now notice what it says. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. How did he meet this man? He was literally just about his business. He was about his day. He was just going about doing what he was called to do. And as he was walking along the way, he has a divine appointment that God brings right into his path as he's just about his business. I've shared this illustration so many times. Some of you are sick of hearing it, but some of you are new, so you're going to hear it again. But the one that always rings in my ears is... The day back in, I don't remember how many years ago, at least 15 years ago, maybe longer, a hundred and some odd degree day in the San Fernando Valley. I'm driving between sales calls. I go late on my first call. I have an appointment with a group of attorneys that I had set months in advance. And you don't want to be late. They don't like that. And so I'm on my way, but I'm, I've been on an appointment. I'm sweaty. I'm, I'm thirsty. And so I pull into a 7-Eleven and drive in to get the biggest big gulp I can get. And, you know, some things don't change. But I went in there, 
to get the biggest drink I could. And as I ran in the door, I kind of noticed out of the corner of my eye, a guy sitting there. And I ran back out and I got in my car and, and I felt like, you know, the Lord, all, not audibly, but almost say, go talk to him about me. <laughs> guy in the front there, go talk. But Lord, I'm late. I, you know, two months ago, I need to be a good job. You know, hey, this is my job. I need to be good. Lord, I need, I, so I start driving out and the Holy Spirit just gets louder. Dave, I said, go back. Almost. That la- oh, now I'm down at the stoplight. Quarter of a mile away. Holy Spirit, go back and talk. Yes, Lord. And I want to tell you, I'm not going back with the right heart or the right attitude. It's like, okay, will you stop hitting me if I go? Okay, I'll go back. So I turn around, I go back, and I'm, and I'm wrong attitude completely. I keep tracks in the door of my car, I always have, still do. I grab a tract out of my door, I fling the door open, I lean, I'm literally like leaning out, handing it to the guy, and I just said, hey bro, here, I just want you to know Jesus loves you, came, suffered, died, might have eternal life, here you go, God bless you, have a good day. <laughs> Weak, right? Well, as I do that, this guy just kind of falls into my arms and starts weeping. And as I get a closer look at him, he had a shirt on that was more whole than shirt, and he had fingers missing, and his skin looked really gnarly. And I found out that he had slept in the wrong place some week, you know, some months earlier, and someone had poured lighter fluid on him and set him on fire. And as I began to talk to him, he said, you don't understand. He said, I was behind that building. He pointed across the street. He said, I was behind that building over there just not that many minutes ago. I had a gun pointed at my head, and I was going to kill myself. And then right as I was about to kill myself, I said, you know, God, if you're real, then, then just show me. And I came over here and sat down, and you just came up and told me that Jesus loves me. Oh, how convicted was I? I almost kept driving. I have to confess to you, there's times I have kept driving. I don't know about anybody, any of you. Holy Spirit convicts you to talk to somebody. Uh, not, yeah, I mean, you must be talking to somebody else. And we just keep going, don't we? Am I the only one? And you know what? It breaks my heart. And you know, praise God that in that one circumstance, I was able to get that guy plugged into a local church and come back and bring him clothes and love on him. I don't know where he is today. But the point is this. It was just as I was about my normal day that God brings those divine appointments. As you're about your normal day, God is bringing those divine appointments. And I believe every single day. I believe that we're breathing in and out because God wants to use us. He's bringing that, he's bringing that person onto the job site. He's bringing that person into your house to fix your refrigerator. You know, all those things that you think are by chance. And then the reality is God brought that person that you might share with them the love of Jesus Christ. And so here's Peter. He's just about his business. He's just being about what, you know, he's doing. And there brought into his path is this paralyzed man. Peter, directed by God, led by the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus of the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. This was a divine appointment, amen? Do you think this guy was kind of happy that Peter came by that day? You know, sometimes we don't realize that some of the people God brings into our path may have been crying out to God, seeking an answer for days, weeks, months, or even years, and you are the fulfillment of their hunger. And here's what has happened. This paralyzed man is there. Peter's just busy about his work, but notice this. So all who dwelt at Lydda and in Sharon, Sharon Valley, Sharon Valley, saw him, and turned 
to the Lord. Here's the key to a real miracle that comes from God. God is glorified. If a man is being glorified, if a man is being puffed up, if people are throwing money at a man or kissing a man's ring or anything like that, it's not from God. Amen? Too many people today are magnifying a man. We magnify and lift up as we sang in that last song, Jesus Christ and him alone. And Peter was the one who healed him, but Peter touched not the glory. Jesus Christ was glorified and the entire city was impacted. You think this man might have prayed before that he would be healed? You know, we pray in our time, God answers in his time, and he's glorified in his perfect time, amen? And too often we want to rush God or push God, but God knows exactly what he's doing and we need to learn to trust him. The Lord desires to touch us that our walk might be a testimony to all those around us just as this paralyzed man is now walking. This guy couldn't help but be a testimony the rest of his life. If you've seen a guy paralyzed, in those days if you're paralyzed you can't get a job. There were no wheelchairs. You're sitting and you have to be helped everywhere you go. You have to beg. You, there's, you know, it just renders you completely ineffective. And if that's who you are and he's been that way for eight years, no doubt everyone in the city had walked by him at one point or another and no doubt most of them knew who he was. Imagine the next day seeing him skipping down the road. Dude, aren't you the... Every single time somebody saw him, he was a testimony to the glory and power of God. As Christians, the same should be said of us. Amen? This is who I was, and this is who I am now, and you know what? It ought to be radically different. Amen? So notice the divine appointment. The first one comes, he's just busy doing the things that he's doing, just as he's about the way, as you and I are at work, as we're at home, as we're driving the kids to school, as we're in the grocery store, it's a divine appointment waiting to happen. Lord, help us not to miss it, amen? We need some evangelists at the Safeway in Santa Cruz, amen? We need people at Orchard Supply and Home Depot walking around on fire for God, who are, don't just go witnessing, but are witnesses, Second point, divine appointments in response to the call of people. We're going to see a dead girl raised from the dead. Look at verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. I'd go by Tabitha too, I think. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Now this is an awesome story to me. First of all, in those days when someone died, they put him in the ground. There's no embalming fluid back then. You put him in the ground immediately. Or they start to stinketh, right? But in this case, they put her in an upper room. They wash her. We see the faith of the people already calling for Peter to come and minister to a dead woman. I've been in some dead churches before, but I can't imagine, you know, preaching a message to a dead woman. You think that you got a tough crowd with five, six-year-olds or whatever it is God's called you to. How about one dead woman? 
And so here she is, she's dead, and they call out for Peter to come to them. They're being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us we have not because we ask not. Guys, I think that we are faithless and that we don't ask God to do greater things. Amen? Too often we put a limit on what we believe God can do. Now, we should never ask presumptuously. We never demand God do anything. We always leave it in his hands. But we have not because we ask not. So my prayer is and has been and will continue to be that one day Santa Cruz County will be the Bible Belt of California. Oh, you're out of your mind. I mean, you know, Hill of Paralyzed Man, I could see that. Raising people from the dead, no problem. Santa Cruz, you got to be, you lost. Okay, you lost me. That's just too much. Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. May, may we be known by our name one day, amen? God can do that. It happens one person at a time. And so we see them calling for him. So you, this call is received. Come, come, please. There's a dead woman. We need her to be touched. What I'm reminded of here is I had a woman I worked with that I used to share my faith with all the time in Southern California. And every time I would share my faith with her, she would say two words to me. I'm Jewish. So I'd share it with her again. Dave, hello, I'm Jewish. I said, good, so is my Savior. So were all the apostles. So were the writers of the Bible. So praise God. That's awesome. And she would mock me and walk away from me and ah, and see me come into the copier and quickly leave. And... But one day, I get a call from her at home, and I have no idea how she got my home number. But she says to me, my boyfriend is going to kill himself. He says that he's been reading in the Bible, and that God has told him from the Bible that he is to test and prove his love for God by shooting himself in the head. And she says, I have no... I thought, who do I know that reads the Bible? I'm Jewish. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's, there's that one Jesus freak at work. I'll call Dave. So she called me, and I got another Christian brother, and we went down and ministered to this guy. And again, the sad part is he didn't shoot himself that day, but three months later he did. So sad. The Lord will never have you harm yourself to prove your love to him. Amen? I have four kids. I, I would die for them. I would never, I don't want to see them, you know, my daughter cut her finger yesterday. That hurts me. I, I don't want to see them hurt at all. Why would our perfect heavenly father want to see us hurt at all? But the point is this. When we are living out loud for the Lord, there's going to come a time when the very people that persecute you, the very people that mock you, the very people that think you've lost your mind, there's going to come a day when some of them are going to be calling you on the phone because they know that if there is a God, you're the one that knows him. And so the call went out to Peter. Now these were the disciples and she was a believer in the Lord, but they said, hey, you know, Peter heals people. Let's get Pete over here, man. So they call Peter. And Peter could have said, she's dead. What are you doing? No, he didn't do that. He responded to the call. Verse 39. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the windows, all the widows, excuse me, stood by her, him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now, Peter had learned many examples from the Lord, and this is an example he saw from the Lord in verse 40. But Peter put them all out, 
and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And when she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Dead people sitting up. Our God can do that. We have not because we ask not. We need to be praying more. When was the last time you prayed for someone to be resurrected from the dead? Can God do that? Let's pray for it, amen? I just, you know, I have an urgency in my heart. Can you imagine? I would love to have the sentinel run a story about somebody who had a funeral on Friday and came to work on Monday. I would love that, wouldn't you? How do you just, oh, uh, you know what? They come up with, but here, guys, let's be a testimony. Let's trust that God can do it. But Pastor Dave, we start praying stuff like that. People are going to think we're religious fanatics. Well, isn't that what we are? That's what we are. He prayed first, notice, and then led by the Spirit, he spoke to her. Guys, when God calls us to minister to somebody, pray first. Amen? He prays first, then God speaks through him. He doesn't do it in his own might, but by the leading of, of the, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I love this picture here of Peter. The result, what's the result? Verse 41. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. What's the result of a divine appointment? What's the result of a divine miracle? God is glorified. People get saved. In India, one of my drivers, I asked him, how did you get saved, bro? How did you come to know Christ? He said, well, what happened was, when I was eight, my mom died. And we had her up on, in our tribe, we had her up on this thing, and we were get, what we did in our tribe was we burned the bodies. We had her all set up to be burned. And this guy came into our tribe and he walked over and prayed for my mom who had been dead for four days and she got up and our whole tribe got saved i guess so but praise god for the guy who had the faith to go pray for the dead person amen and he's like yeah no i got six brothers we're all in ministry my mom lived another 35 years after that and then she went to be with the lord and i'm like dude and you know what it is people in india don't know any better Bible says let's pray. Let's pray then. Let's do that. We're so sophisticated in our faith. Well, you know, we know better. We're just, you know, we go to the doctor. And go, go to the doctor. God bless. And God can use the doctor. But we know the great physician, amen? And when we pray, and when those divine appointments come, God is glorified. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. I love this transforming work of Christ. I love this picture as Peter heals a paralyzed man, he raises a young woman from the dead. But the greatest miracle of all was not the paralyzed man walking or the dead girl getting up, but the people who had gone from death into life spiritually. The greatest miracle was the miracle that was going to impact eternity. Amen? Well, there's a great miracle yet to come. As we come to chapter 10, we begin to look at the four acts of winning lost souls to Christ as he prepares the heart on either end. Watch the preparing of hearts. Look at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So he was a devout man. He feared God 
a technical term used to describe Gentiles who had abandoned their pagan religion in pursuit of the true faith. But we're going to find out that all he has at this point is an understanding of Old Testament Judaism. He does not have a grasp or an understanding of the true Messiah as of yet. But he's calling out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see that he's a man of good works. But guys, men of good works don't get into heaven apart from Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. We describe people as good men and women. Here's the truth. There aren't any. You're here this morning, you think you're good? You're wrong. Amen? I'm not good either. None righteous, no, not one. But here this guy Cornelius, certainly from the world's perspective, and notice how God's preparing his heart as he's calling out to God. He's praying to the Lord, but he still doesn't have the answer yet. He hasn't connected the Old Testament scripture with the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Someone, just like the eunuch, is going to have to have the answer brought to him. And so Cornelius is praying. Cornelius is a man who is truly seeking after God. Though not saved yet, he's hungry for the truth. And a man, a man who the light of God had been given to him to a certain extent, and he's hungry for more. It says in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. So here's a man who doesn't even know God yet, but God is revealing himself to him in a way, and he calls him by name. And when God called him by name, look what it said. And when he observed him, he was afraid. Fear of God is a good thing. And said, what is it, Lord? Great answer, great question. He recognizes that he's the Lord. So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when they, he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. God calls him, he answers. God gives direction and he takes those under his authority and he sends them out. You know what? He was a man of character. But character's not enough. He needed to be a man who was born again. And God was showing him that there was more. And as God was opening his heart and softening his heart and preparing him that there was a need for more, he responds in faithful obedience. In his prayers, Cornelius was no doubt asking God to show him the way of salvation. And as he cried out again and again and again, God responds and says, okay, you want the answer? Here's what you need to do. Send for Peter. Have him come. He'll tell you what you must do to be saved. So God has worked and stirred up the heart of Cornelius. Understand, a Roman centurion, a man of great authority, Often men very prideful, men with a lot of people, you know, serving him. And he sends those to go and bring one to him that he might find out the truth. He exercises authority by sending these men in obedience to God's word. This guy already seems more like a Christian than many Christians I know. Because when God said something to him, he said, yes, Lord. He responded in the fear of God and what God told him to do, he did it. Amen? And God's going to honor that. And God's going to bless that. 
But notice, he speaks to both hearts, not just to Cornelius, but he's also speaking on the other end. Look at verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now we know that Cornelius was, was more than likely observing all the Jewish tradition because they would pray in the sixth and the third and the sixth and the ninth hour. And we notice he was praying at the ninth hour. So he was probably observing the Jewish traditions. Now we see Peter, sixth hour, day starts at 6 a.m. It's noontime. He goes up on the rooftop. He's hungry. And he's praying and speaking to the Lord. Now he's not standing out on you know a shake roof balancing himself. In those days the rooftop was a place where they would congregate. It was you know a cool place in the Middle East where they could go and the kids could play. And so he's up on the rooftop and there he enters in to a time of prayer. He's they're preparing for the noontime meal and he's spending time in the presence of the Lord. And then it says there then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. The Greek word there is ecstasy. He didn't take any ecstasy, okay, don't it? But a dreamlike state. His attention was absorbed in thought. His external senses are partially or entirely suspended. And he's entering into the presence of the Lord in a spiritual sense. And God's going to tell him to do something that doesn't make any sense. You know, briefly, I know I'm, I'm going to run out of time, but we might go over a little bit this morning, so forgive me, all right? But here's the point. And I hate to keep using myself as an example, but what am I going to do? I, I know myself best. What are you going to do? But I remember years ago, I was, we had a planned trip to Russia. And I'd been six times already, and we were taking a big group from Calvary Chapel, San Jose. And in that group was my then 11-year-old daughter, Ashley. The sixth grade from the school was going to be going. My daughter was one of them. And Pastor Don came to Rob McCoy and I. He was a junior high pastor. I was a high school pastor. And he said, you know, I'm concerned, guys, because we have hundreds of kids in the youth group. Only about 20 of them are going. And both of my youth pastors are going to be gone. One of you guys should stay back. Well, Rob immediately said, well, Dave, your daughter's going. You've been to Russia six times. I've never been. You know, you should go. You have a burden for it. And I, I was like, yeah, you're right. I should go. Yeah, I'll go. I wasn't too proud. Okay, I'll go. Well, then I went home that night, and I'll never forget this. I don't know, and again, I know it wasn't a trance, but I don't know if it was a dream or what it was, but as I was laying there in bed, I felt so clearly from the Lord that I was not supposed to go to Russia to the point that I got up in the middle of the night, found my visa that you need to go and tore it into small pieces and threw it in the garbage. Went to church the next day and said, Rob, you're going to Russia. I'm not supposed to go. This made no sense to me. Just like what Peter's about to be told will make no sense to him. But God sometimes is preparing our hearts by telling us things that we need to just trust him even when we don't fully get it. And so watch what happens. He saw heaven opened up and an object like a great sheep bound in four corners descending to him and it let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter, all those things that you think are unclean, he's standing up on the rooftop, he's hungry. 
They're cooking down below. He's praying. And all of a sudden, the sheet comes down from heaven, and in it, he sees things that previously had been considered unclean, and God tells him, rise, kill, and eat. Oh, that's contrary to what I've been taught. Watch how Peter responds. Kind of how I felt when you're not going to Russia. Peter said, not so, Lord. Well, you can't put those three words together. You can say, not so, pal, not so, friend, not so, buddy. You can't say, not so, Lord. You know what? You can only say, yes, Lord. Amen? If he's Lord, it's yes every time. But he says, not so, Lord. You know what he's saying? I know better than you, Lord. But Lord, you must have forgotten the rules. Let me remind you. And he says there, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I've never eaten any of that stuff. Now, he's changing the dietary rules, but what he's really doing even more so is he's preparing Peter to go minister to the Gentiles. Because in the past, that was a separation. The Gentiles, you know, those people, they eat pork. Gentiles, right? There are Christians today who think it's sin to eat pork. They need to read Acts chapter 10. I praise God for Acts 10. I love bacon. I don't know about you. Good stuff, man. I'm just living in, in Jesus' name. Rise, kill, and eat. Thank you, Lord. Our God loves a good barbecue, whether you knew it or not. It says the sweet smelling. Look at all the sacrifice in the Old Testament. That stuff's being put. What do you think that is? Big barbecue, man. And so, rise, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything. It's contrary to the Jewish diet. And the voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. It was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. Christian faith had done away with regulations concerning food, but even more importantly now, he's prepared that he can't. You understand something? There was a wall between the Jews and the Gentiles in the synagogue. And the Gentiles could only come so far. The veil had been torn when Jesus died on the cross that all men could enter into God's presence. But now that wall needed to come down between the Jews and the Gentiles. And part of that wall was the diet. And God wanted to bring that wall down. It says in Ephesians, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. It says in Colossians, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Guys, well, we don't, see, we don't struggle seeing Gentiles as unclean because most of us are Gentiles. The Lord brought that wall down. We need to bring some walls down because some of us, myself included, we can look at certain people as being beyond salvation. We can look at certain people and think that they're just so far away from God they could never be saved. Lord, forgive us because there before the grace of God goes every single one of us. It's His grace that saved us. And we should never look at anybody as being beyond salvation. We should never cease to pray for our most wayward friends or family or relatives or whoever it might be. We should never see anybody as beyond being a divine appointment placed by God into our lives. And trust That God knows exactly what he's doing. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. In 1 Samuel he says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Let's stop looking at how people look and start realizing that God's brought, he loves them. He would have died for only them. They are precious in his sight. Lord, give us your eyes for these people. Help us to see them the way you see them. To love them the way that you love them. He loves the alcoholic sleeping in the street as much as he does the CEO living in a mansion. Amen? Your next door neighbor, 
your co-workers. The gospel is the good news for all of mankind. And our mission field isn't just across the globe, it's across the street. All are hurting apart from Christ. They all need the same thing. They need Jesus. And so he's broken down this wall. And, and no doubt he's thinking, what does this all mean? And as he's thinking, what does this all mean? Look what happens. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate. Notice the Gentiles weren't let in the property. They had to stay outside the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. The Holy Spirit had instructed Peter, yes, I've shown you something, it doesn't make sense to you, but it's about to. You don't fully understand what I'm doing, you don't necessarily have to, just trust me. And now there's three guys at the door, and what they ask you to do, no matter what it is, even though it won't make sense to you, you go with them. Doubting nothing means making no distinctions. He's not to make a distinction between the fact that they are Jews and Gentiles, and we see him already do that as he invites them into the house to lodge there. They've been left at the gate, and now... They've been invited in. So we see there, starting in verse 21, not only the preparation of the heart, but now the responding to the call. Cornelius had been, t- had been told to send out these messengers. The messengers had come. Peter had been told to respond by faith. The messengers came, and Peter responds. He tells them he's a just man. He's not just enough. He's a good man. He's not good enough. He needs to hear the truth of the gospel, just as you and I do today. Guys, God has a calling on our life. The divine appointments are coming. When the divine appointments come, may we not be so busy thinking about what's for lunch, like Peter was, that we miss out on God's highest. Amen? Sometimes we're so busy about feeding our flesh, we miss out on something so much greater. Peter, per the Spirit's instruction, did not even question, but invited them in something Jews don't normally do. That wall of separation's coming down. That wall's crumbling right here in this chapter. We see it. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and it called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Bad play. But you understand Cornelius is so desperate to know the truth. Now here's something interesting to me. Do you know who was living in Caesarea at the time? Philip the evangelist. Yet God sent for Peter to come all the way from Joppa to minister to to Cornelius. He sends for Peter, brings him all that way when Philip's already in town. Why? I don't know. Does God do that sometimes? Yes. Why did my brother come all the way from Hawaii when one of his other brothers is a pastor who lives in town? God will move on our hearts to do that. Also, I believe, though, Peter's going to do something radical 
that if Philip had done it, they might have just said, dude, you're an out-of-control evangelist. You need to slow down, man. That guy's a Gentile. Don't you know who he is? But Peter doing it, the apostle doing it, be hard to question. Now, Peter has apostolic authority, but you know what? He's not to be worshipped. Amen? Peter tells him, get up! Don't, you don't worship me. You notice he didn't say, yes, I am the first pope. Kiss my ring. He did not do that. Amen? No worship. We don't worship men. But I want you to see something here because what's incredible about this story to me is that Peter comes in, Cornelius is there, you got a Roman soldier and a Christian apostle, and God brings them together from a far distance. Let me finish my story about the dream I had in turning up my visa, because it doesn't end there. Two and a half months later, Gordon can testify to this, I'm at my men's Bible study table, I taught the men's Bible study, and then I was a table leader, and at my table was a guy named Jim Delore. And Jim Delore mentions on this Tuesday night, as we talk about prayer, he says, pray for me because next Monday I'm going to be going to Russia to help with uh, Calvary up in Seattle plant a church in the Ural Mountains out near Siberia. And I mean, I, my heart was quickened immediately. I'm like, dude, you're going to the Ural Mountains out near Siberia to plant a Calvary chapel? Dude, I, oh man, I want to go. So, you know, if I had gone two and a half months earlier with the other group, I wouldn't have had the vacation time. I wouldn't have had the finance, nothing. But now, Rob's back. The youth group's being taken care of. I go to Pastor Don. Hey, Pastor Don, I have an opportunity to go. With you. Go! So I went. Now, I go, to, I go to, to Russia, and when I get there, I get put in a class with a bunch of English-speaking students. And the teacher thought it would be really great. This is, I mean, you talk about in the middle of nowhere. It was on the road where they marched people out to Siberia, the Ural Mountains. I mean, it's nowhere. We had to get on Aeroflot. That's an adventure. And we flew out, you know, to the Ural Mountains. So we get there, and they bring me the first day into this English-speaking class, and the teacher says, this is a total blessing for us. That didn't use that word. But said, you know, this is great because we don't get to hear people who, you know, are from America speak English. So why don't you just take my class for the entire day? I said, I'd love to take your class for the entire day. So we spent the next six hours, including having lunch together, talking about Jesus. And then I invited them back to a concert that night. Now, I think we have some pictures. I don't know if they're working. But that was where I went. You can see, that, does that look kind of desolate a little bit? Keep going. Okay, that's it. Keep going. Now, that's one of the classrooms, not the specific one I'm talking about, but I had six hours with these kids. So that night, I invited them all to come back to a concert. Go to the next one. There's the concert. Those are all kids from the high school who had shown up to hear a Christian band play and sing about Jesus Christ. Go to the next one. Now, one girl didn't show up for the concert. This one right here. And so I went to all the kids in my class. You spent six hours with them. You know all their names. Where is she? How could she didn't come? Go tell her my feelings are hurt that she didn't come. So the next night she comes, she does come. And she says to me, I said, why didn't you come? She said, because you don't understand. My dad is an atheist. And he wouldn't like it if I came to a Christian concert. You're the first Christians we've ever heard of. And my dad wouldn't want me to come. Not only is my dad an atheist, my dad is a Roman or not a Roman, a Russian soldier. 
and he hates Americans. So he hates Christians, and he hates Americans. So Dave, I hate to tell you this, he'd really hate you. So she's there for a little bit, about a half an hour. She starts to leave. I said, where are you going? She said, my dad's here to pick me up. He would only let me stay a short time. I had to beg him. I said, well, I want to meet him. So I don't think that's a good idea. I might have a weapon on him. I don't think that's a good idea. But I went down there. I met him. His name is Genya. So I go down, I meet Genya, and I can tell he's a little startled when I walk out. He's got his military garb on. I walk up to him, and he's very standoffish. I start to talk to him about the Lord. He doesn't really want to hear it. But then I start to talk to him about his daughter, and I start to see his heart melt away. And then I pull out pictures of my kids and show him pictures of my children. And I start talking to him about being a father. And then he says to me, I love my daughter, through an interpreter, because his daughter who speaks perfect English, Through his daughter, he says, I love my daughter more than my own soul. And I said to him, can you imagine allowing your daughter to die for someone else? He said, that would be impossible. I said, how much would you have to love them to let let your daughter die for someone else? He said, I can't imagine loving somebody enough to have my daughter die. I said, guess what? That's how much God loves you. He sent his son to die that you might have eternal life. And God, by his grace, broke down the middle wall between me and this Russian atheist man who hated Americans. And he invited me back to his house for dinner. And just like the centurion, we see here that when Peter shows up, the centurion is not only there, he's invited everyone he knows to his house. Because not only does he want to hear, this guy's a testimony and an evangelist before he's saved. He's bringing everybody to his house. So sure enough, I go to have dinner at this man's house. I still can remember it because he lived 10 or 11 flights up and the elevator was broken. It was below zero outside and I'm walking up those stairs. I'll never forget it with my interpreter. And I come into his little tiny Russian flat and as I get in there, it's wall to wall people. And they sit me down in this place of honor and they feed me fried chicken for, of all things. I don't know where they got the chicken or how they learned to fry it, but they brought it. They knew Americans eat that. They wanted me to fill it home. And that one-hour visit turned into over six hours as I taught them through the entire Gospel of John because they wouldn't let me leave. Amen. But what's awesome about this, let me finish this story. We need to move on. We're going to go over and, you know, if you need to leave... But here's the point. Here's what happened. Amazing. So he ends up getting saved. His wife gets saved. His daughter gets saved. And by the time we leave, he's the guy at the back door of the Calvary Chapel in Perm who hands out the bulletins and and welcomes people to the church, this Russian atheist guy who hates Americans. Our God's great, isn't he? But here's what's really awesome. He's driving me back after he gets saved. We come back in his car, and he stops along the way in front of this Russian Orthodox Church, which is really more of a museum almost than anything else. Nobody really has church in there. But he tells me, he said, you know, Dave, through the interpreter, I need to share something with you. Two and a half months ago, I had a rare Sunday off, and I was driving by this church, and even though I'm a devout atheist, I went in there for the first time in my life because I knew something was missing. And I just said while I was standing in that church, you know, if, if you're really God, then you're going to have to do something to show me. And right then, I got Jesus bumps like nobody's business. And I said, wait a minute, when was this? And he goes, well, I remember it because I never have a Sunday off. And he told me the date. And I go, bro, let me tell you what happened. There's a 12-hour time difference between here and the United States. 
when you are standing in this church praying and saying, God, show yourself to me, God was waking me up in the United States and telling me I couldn't go on that trip because he knew I was coming on this one. And he had me tear up the visa and throw it in the trash. And do you know that God loves you enough to send a guy from a country you hate halfway around the world to tell you that Jesus loves you? And he was weeping and I was weeping and we were hugging each other and I'm thinking, man. And then I get on the plane to fly back and I guess what the text was when I got home from the men's study. Acts chapter 10. And I'm reading this and I'm a mess on the plane. I'm like, this is Acts 10 to the max. We just had it. A Roman soldier and a Russian soldier. God calling a guy that says unclean and bringing him halfway around the world. God can do that, amen? Guys, divine appointments. God prepares the hearts on both sides. God is so faithful. God is so great. And you know what? I just, it, it's in my frailty, but I, I can't believe that God would allow me to take part in something like that. Because I have to confess to you, I was a little bitter when my daughter got on the plane without me. I was a little upset that I didn't get to go. But you know what? Our God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? And then... Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. The world brings glory to themselves. Real godly men point people back to Christ. We're not going to finish the chapter. Don't panic. And God talked with him and he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for Jewish men to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Boy, how the Gentiles must have loved to hear that. How Cornelius' heart must have been gripped. Therefore I come without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. At the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold a man stood before me in bright clothing, an angel. And said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here. Her surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately. And you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. There's a hungry group just waiting to hear the truth. Boy, this reminds me of walking into Genia's apartment and this little tiny place being stacked with people. He comes into Cornelius' home. This was a rich man. This place was packed out. Peter had obeyed God when it didn't make sense. Not so, Lord, is how it started. But then when he got there, he saw the mighty hand of God. Here was a group of hungry people. We're missing hungry hungry people because we're too busy about the things of this world sometimes. Lord, help us to get our eyes off of stuff and get our eyes on the Lord. And let me just finish by reading it because I want you to see this. So how does he respond? Then Peter proclaims the truth. He opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Boy, he learned quick, didn't he? He went from not so Lord to God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him, And works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. Cornelius for the first time hears that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. The word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism of John the Baptist which was preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, 
who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses to all the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness through his name. Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Guys, here's the message. I know we're over time, but here's the message. He didn't give him seven steps to financial freedom. He didn't say, here's three ways to overcome your anger. He didn't preach a man-centered gospel. He preached Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. And that is the same message we need to be proclaiming today. Amen? He didn't water it down. He didn't dial it down. He didn't make it more sensitive. Guy's a Roman soldier, got a sword. I might don't want to make, didn't do that. Peter brought it with boldness. Lord, help us to bring the truth with boldness. And then notice the fruit that takes place. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And he's the one that draws us into salvation. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, praise God. This is Gentile Pentecost. Now the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days, I guess so. What an awesome picture we have here of one who was hungry to know the truth, God preparing his heart. And then we see one who has the truth, God preparing his heart, God appearing to both of them, God bringing them together. And then we see the Holy Spirit is the one that softens hearts, speaks to the one who speaks. And in the end, people are saved and God is glorified. Guys, God wants us to have divine appointments just like that. God has got people in your life he's been preparing seeds have been planted seeds have been watered it's harvest time the harvest is white but the laborers are few lord let us be laborers amen we want to see revival in this county let it start in our hearts lord stir me up help me not to be ashamed of the gospel help me lord to be faithful to the great commission help me to see people through your eyes help me lord to break down that middle wall and not look at anybody as being beyond or unworthy of salvation. God is faithful. He saved us. He can save anybody. Amen? They heard the word. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They were baptized, which is an outward statement of an inward change. So in closing, and thank you for your patience this morning. Divine appointments, they come in daily life. As Peter walked and met the paralyzed man, they come in your daily life. Called by people. Sometimes someone's going to cry out to you that you least expect, that you never thought was going to happen, and they ask you to come and pray or come and minister. And then there's going to be times where God just by His Holy Spirit is going to put somebody on your heart or put a place on your heart or do something that I can't even describe and God's going to stir you up so much that you can't help but respond by faith and in obedience. And when you do, God's going to do something great. You know what? Don't be limited by what other people think is acceptable. You be obedient to God. 
Sometimes we look at what the world says we should do and how we should live and how we should operate. You know what, Lord, break down all of that stuff and help us live like the first century church sold out for Almighty God. Nobody will get to heaven and be bummed out they live like that. Amen? Might catch some flack from the world. But we should be responding to the call, proclaiming the truth, and realizing that God wants to use us too. And in the end, there will be fruit. Aren't you glad that somebody responded to God's call to witness to you? Aren't you glad that somebody didn't just be too busy to run off to an appointment with an attorney, that he didn't stop and invite you to church? You know what? Lord, help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Lord, we lay our lives at your feet. Here we are, Lord. Use us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We praise and worship and honor your most holy name. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to have the same heart that we see in the text this morning. A heart burdened for the lost. A heart filled with the Great Commission. A hunger and a desire to see people saved. Lord, tear down that middle wall if we've built up walls towards certain people because of their lifestyle, their background, or whatever it might be. Lord, instead... Help us to see every person as someone that you died for. Someone that you love so much you'd rather die than live without. Lord, give us your eyes to see. Give us your heart for the lost. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to respond in obedience when you call us. Lord, we're weak. We confess that. We want to walk away. We're fearful often. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the boldness. Without you, we can do nothing. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, I ask in Jesus' name that right now you would open their eyes to the truth of who you are. Just as we've been talking about divine appointments, this morning is a divine appointment. No doubt in a room this size, there are many here who don't know you. Lord, we ask that today would be the day of salvation. If that's who you are this morning, you do not know the Lord. We're not asking you to join a church. We're not asking you to become a part of an organization. But you've heard the gospel this morning. Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to forgive you. His forgiveness is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. He holds out a hand to you of salvation this morning. And what you must do is respond by faith and say, yes, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. If that's your heart this morning, if you respond by faith, the Bible says... That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. That today you will be a new creation in Christ. You'll be born again. You'll have the promise of heaven. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You may have come here thinking by chance this morning. It's not by chance. It's by divine appointment. God could have changed the message last night just for you. Because he loves you that much. If that's your heart this morning, you want to know for sure you're going to heaven. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ, but you want to ask to be forgiven. You want to be born again. If that's your heart, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. Anybody at all. Today's the day of salvation. The Lord loves you. Anybody at all. Lord, we thank you and praise you that your word does not return void. And Lord, we pray that seeds have been planted. Some have been watered. We pray for those of us who do know you already. Just light a fire in our hearts to serve you more. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.